Another half truth might be like how I treat Ash. Like um, it's all love. So when I get angry at her, well, I'm just expressing myself and I'm just being in my, I, come on, you're supposed to unconditionally love me. This is another great half truth. Hey babe, we're married forever. So unconditionally love each other, right? But then the ego loves using that as an excuse to treat our partners however we want and to cause harm and then be like, oh, but you're supposed to unconditionally love me and unconditional love means I can do whatever I want. Huge half-truth that the ego loves to twist. All right, today's podcast is a four-person podcast. I had on my partner, Jesse Klein, otherwise known as Joyful Human Online, and we got a chance to talk to the yoga couple, all right? And if you don't know who Matt and Nash are, I'll give you a little bit of context. So this is from their bio. We help couples stay together. Your partner is your mirror, healing and enlightenment through relationship, authors of the best-selling book, The Inner Work, all right? So they're authors and they really focus on the inner work. Now, if you are in a relationship, I think this is gonna be very beneficial for you to listen to, but if you're not in a relationship, I also think this is gonna be very beneficial for you to understand the deep dynamics of relationship that not very many people are talking about. It is absolutely incredible, okay? So without further ado, here's Matt Nash, number 71. Okay. And you know, we're here recording this podcast and I just wanna make sure that the volume's good and it might even be projecting a little louder than this because when the moment comes, you know, you always kinda get a little more hype. That's fine, yeah. And you project. Very so, good. Dude, like seriously. Dude, like seriously, Nick, we're here in Noise in Hawaii. The same. Nick gets excited and yeah, his I do. volume goes up like so five cute. times. Yep. So am I four? We're all so cute, look at us. Let's go. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna turn myself. Okay, I think we're good. I think we're ready to podcast here. Let's my friends. podcast. We're ready to film an episode straight here from Hawaii. Can I have an extra pillow? Like, yeah. Oh, you get her pillowed up. You want more? No, I just want one for this arm. Okay. To like, you know, God, I did it to prop it. You need an arm prop? Oh, you're already there. Yeah, I guess I, guess I, I gotta, am. Yeah. I gotta settle in too. You gotta get yourself situated. All right, we're here. Look at you, you're gonna be in the corner. We're That's chilling. That's like a um, prime spot. And Nick, are we recording on there? Yeah. Okay, then oh, we're ready. We've been recorded just in case we wanted Beautiful. to start it off. So we're good. Yeah, welcome. Um, I am excited to be here with you. We're here in the most aesthetically pleasing house I have ever seen. <laughs> if you can't tell, every room is like this. And so. We're here with Matt and Ash, the yoga couple. Thank you so much. What a beautiful uh, compliment. We're so grateful that you all are here. Yes. I think yeah, you're the first friends we've ever had in our home with us. <laughs> and Let's definitely go. the first in-house podcast experience. Okay. <laughs> so we're making it the first one. Very good. So, okay. Now, y'all are about to head out to India. And mm -hmm. we tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning. Yeah, so we're, we didn't know if we were going to film this. We were just kind of like last second. If we got time, we got time because there's a lot kind of happening right now. So we started. Let's go back because I think I just wanted to say a shout out to Ash. I have said on this podcast, you don't even know this, but I've said in many episodes. Or do I? <laughs> maybe you do. Maybe you do. But the reason why my book got wrote was because of you and because of all the guidance that you've given me so we go back we've been we've been friends i would say you guys are the best friends that i've had on the podcast that i know the the most going into so mm. i'm just excited to have a conversation because you guys have done kind of what i did which is i kind of evolved what i talked about 
first, you know, because you guys were more yoga driven, I feel like. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because you know way better than I do, but you're kind of more, you know, taking the forefront of relationships now. What'd you say? Yeah, I think that over the years, we've evolved our bravery to Mm -hmm. speak more authentically online about what we're actually like about. Mm -hmm. And I think in the beginning of showing up like publicly on social media, we were more cautious and creating content that I think that we we thought other people wanted to see, which was like more surface level yogic, you know, spiritual things. Yeah. I wouldn't even say spiritual. I think more. I think, I mean, originally it really started with just pure asana yoga. And then I think it's always been one in the same though. I think the goal was always to teach the true depths of yogic philosophy and how it can better our lives in our everyday lives, how it can, we can apply it in a practical sense. And I think what it really evolved to is relationships being the ultimate practical place. Well, and back to the confidence thing, I think we've always been living this way, but Mm, we weren't brave enough to like let people into our life experience and the way we live and being that vulnerable to show how we live a yogic lifestyle as individuals spiritually, but like how it plays out in our relationship dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I think more recently over the years, we've, we've just said, you know, screw it. And now we've been going for it and it's been really well received. Nice. Yeah. And I really admired your ability to adapt because sometimes it's hard because you think that people are going to only like you for this aspect. And then you're like, wait, I can actually be maybe a little bit more who I really am. And then you start Mm -hmm. to, uh, that's what I've seen for me, at least I started to go out more and be like, "Uh, well, I think I have other aspects that I'm not showing and people get really scared to show that. And even in relationships too. Yeah. And it's like, who are we to share, you know, what a good relationship is or could be like, you know, when we're struggling and figuring it out ourselves still. And we are, you know, under 40 and, you know, haven't been together for two decades. So it's like, who's going well, a to... a decade, right? <laughs> going yeah. on. Well, that's a long time, I think, too. But really, it's about sharing what you're learning as you navigate those things, not being on top of the mountain, like looking down and being like, oh, I know the way. It's like, this is what we're doing and we're figuring out and what's working for us as we're still in it and being vulnerable enough to say like, I'm not coming from a place of knowing more than you. I'm literally going through it too. And just want to share in hopes that it will help. Yeah. And it seems to help people. Yeah. It seems as though it's pretty decently received. You know, you guys have done great online and um, it's really helped, I think, our relationship too, wouldn't you say? Yeah. We've been together two years, so not nearly as long, but... You know, we've got a lot of value. Yeah, and I think that's what attracted me to you guys in the first place because so I found them on YouTube back in like 2017 when I was going through a breakup. And usually what I do when I find someone I really resonate with on YouTube or on Instagram is I kind of hyper fixate and binge all the content. (laughs) And I think what was really refreshing about you guys is like you were willing to go places and talk about talk about certain topics that I feel like a lot of people aren't willing to go to that depth about things like pornography um, and, and things about relationships in general. And mm-hmm. like I found it very refreshing because like all the other 
content and spiritual teachers that I was taking in, it was like what you were saying. It's like they're teaching this in more of a third person way where they're sharing these concepts, but they're not sharing it through their own life and they're not giving you a peek into their life. And you guys were like the first people I found who were doing that. And then I met you in person and it was like so refreshing to see that you were exactly how you were online. You were in person, which I feel very I feel very fortunate because I have a lot of friends where that is not. And I know that I I hear like a lot of horror stories of people where they like meet these or they find these people online and they kind of put them on a pedestal and then they meet them in person. And it's a very um, it's not maybe the healthiest dynamic. So I yeah. even joke with Ash sometimes. I'm like, thank you guys for not being a cult, like cult leaders. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> I was like in a very vulnerable place when like I found y'all and then. Where are we? <laughs> <laughs> and we just don't know yet. It's possible. Gosh. It's possible. So That's are cool you? That's a real I, question. <laughs> <laughs> of no. course not. Yeah. But I do think that <laughs> it's a great compliment because we've had that experience also. Um, of looking up to to people and then you meet them and you're like, man, that you are not what you portray. So we do really pride ourselves on that. And it's like the greatest compliment is when people meet us at retreats or uh, when I'm talking with clients or they're in our teacher training and they really get to talk to us or see us or meet us on a one-on-one basis. Ash and I's like whole goal throughout this whole experience together has been we refuse for everyone or for anyone to ever say, man, like they are nothing like we thought. Like that is like the last thing we ever want to have happen. So we've really made it a point to be like, all right, how we show up, we want to be ourselves, be vulnerable, talk about all our screw ups. We cuss, we're a little brash, rough around the edges sometimes, especially myself. We, we just let it be what it is so that, first of all, like I think we all can relate to that because we're all human. And we all have our own things, but also because that's like meeting you and then hearing you say that now, what, five years later, yeah. it's so cool to be like, yes, like we, we nailed it. Like here you are at our home, like, and, and our lives are so intertwined now. Like that's just like beautiful to us. And we feel the same about both of y'all. Oh, like, of course. Yeah. To reciprocate You know, you that, guys are both 100%. so authentic and exactly what you're portraying online. I yes. think that's why we're vibing. And that's, yeah, that's why we're all here. Exactly. <laughs> right. Dude, I think like the first YouTube video or podcast that I ever found of you guys was like, why we almost got divorced. And I was like, yep. they're so real. Exactly. Yep. That is, yeah, that is our first podcast episode. <laughs> so why did, I didn't think I watched that. So I'm curious now. What was the reason? Which time? The, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, the, I'll the let first you pick. One. I'll let you pick. Let's start maybe number one. You know, here's the thing. Well, is, hold on, hold on. I got to clarify something because this is part of our healing together. Yeah. Is I keep telling Ash, for the sake of us being healed moving forward is we talk a lot on episodes or just, I mean, we've been together 10 years now. So when we say we almost got divorced, there's been a couple times where we have made episodes about that and we talk about that. But to clarify, for the sake of healing our hearts together, I always tell Ash, just because we were at that point, I always tell her like, that was not literal for me. The amount of steps that still would have had to happen for mm. me to divorce, like to take it to that level. I always tell Ash, I'm like, now we were struggling and it was starting to be a consideration of like, we are 
possibly going to end. Mm-hmm. But no way. Like Okay. So just like <laughs> me and Jesse just had a private conversation off mic. And I was really telling her this whole story too is that one of the things that has helped Matt and I heal is telling each other like, I forgive you for who you were when we were in survival mode and me forgiving myself for who I was when we were in survival mode. And Matt and I have gone through so many hardships of pursuing a conscious spiritual life of independence together where we're entrepreneurs and we're writing books and we're like counseling people and leading retreats and having yoga studios. And it has been a very big uh, pull away from our family, the way our family raised us. Um, we've, you know, had to go off the beaten path. And we've had we've to had fail to... a lot. I mean, honestly, we failed a lot and we had to start from scratch repeatedly. And But, but one thing real quick as before you keep going is like, but that fostered this like, I we will not quit attitude. Yeah. And through that trial and error of going through so much, um, just year after year, but persevering again and again, we're not in that place anymore. I think that when we are in survival mode and in PTSD and in fight or flight, that changes how it changes your personality. It changes how you show up in a relationship and you develop coping mechanisms. It changes your perception. And it changes your perception of your partner and yourself. And so one of the biggest things that has helped us heal is getting out of survival mode, re-regulating our nervous system, doing the inner work to self-heal and realizing that who we fell in love with is still that person. And though we saw them in survival mode, that is not who they are. That was who they are in survival mode. And in trauma. And in trauma. (laughs) And who I was in survival mode and in trauma is not who I am. And his coping mechanisms of looking at pornography or alcoholism or whatever and my hopelessness and depression and anxiety and maybe being bitter and resentful um, or having contempt for him and anger and resentment, those were all side effects of us having unhealthy circumstances in our life and unhealthy coping mechanisms that we needed to face and take back ownership over our life circumstances and heal, not apart, but together. And I think that we have a deeper love for that. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing like that we always talk about with our breaking points is it's common for relationships to get to that breaking point because when you're in it with that reframe i was saying earlier it does feel like fuck this this is the end i'm divorcing you i'm over you you're the wrong person right that's the conclusion everybody's ego draws at that point and that's why i wanted to keep reframing it for our own journey like ash and i moving forward is from the bird's eye view there was so much more that needed to happen before we would have truly we would have sought out family we would have done this we would have like worked through it we would have made it separated for there would have been a lot of stages but while you were in it you feel like fuck you i'm done you know like you feel so burnt and done and you're like i'm gonna divorce you and i think that's the tipping point that usually we get to in business or in relationship or in our health where you hit these like brutal like one yard line moments right and you're just like i can't take this anymore and one of the dopest things that we've share with people from getting through those breakthroughs is just like ash was saying the deeper love you get is all right you've seen your partner in trauma you've seen their worst but here's the dopest part that everybody usually misses we usually give up right there and we say see i've seen your worst 
I don't want, I'm not here for that. And then we leave and then we don't want any more of it because it's like scary because we're like, dude, you were fucked up during that time. It's like, well, yeah, because I was stressed out. Like I was like in primal survival mode. But here's what's really cool is when you still say, I refuse to give up on this though and I will find a solution and I will get out of this and we will get out of this together. On the other side of that comes a whole new level of strength and trust in each other because you saw the worst in each other and you got through it. So everybody's missing out on the best part, which is if you just would have pushed a little harder and, and you just would have got through it together, you'll be so much closer and so much more bonded because you actually traversed your shadows together. You, you went through the dark night of the soul together and you get to the other side of it and you look back on it and you're like, holy shit, we're badass. Like, and then you feel more <laughs> in love with each other because you did taste that darkness and you saw that darkness and then got through it together. And I think that's like our favorite thing to share with people because we're not, we definitely don't hide how much shit we've dealt with. Like you name it, addiction, um, mental health concerns, money, loss, like change, like all the classic, you know, ego triggers and attachments, so much job change, money. Oh gosh, like we could go on and on, but the beauty is we got through every single one of them by using the inner work principles and by using the foundation of yoga. And that's why we're so passionate about sharing it because we feel like no matter what the issue is, those core principles will always apply. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying, you see the worst side of somebody, but if you don't, if you don't persevere through that, then you don't get to see the best side of people because then that's the that's the other side of it, right? In relationship is that only that person will see the worst of you, but also only that person will see the absolute best potential of you as well. Yeah. Oh, you know what? That just reminded me of a funny thing Ash and I used to say of like, when we get to that breaking point. So a lot of times what people will do is they'll, that's where they break and then they stop. Then they go be with someone new. And Asha would always be like, now, wait a minute. You don't get to go be with some new girl and she gets all our hard work and she's going to get this like better version of you because I had to go through all that with you. And then you just bail on me and go be with someone new and start over with all that wisdom. And so that just made me think of something we actually have joked about before of we just went through all that hard work together and became way stronger. And if you if you say, well, thanks for all that strength. Now I'm going to go start over someone new so that they get to see this cool new version of me because you obviously become wiser and stronger through those experiences. And it's so funny because our egos are afraid that someone's seen that in us. Like there's so many times in, in our relationship where I'll be like, well, now I feel like you don't love me anymore because you saw that side of me. So I want to run away and start over with someone who hasn't seen that before because now I can't trust that you love me. Now I don't trust that like you still love me now that you saw that. And so we usually go start over with someone else so that they, but then you're missing out. And so Ash, that was always Ash's joke. She's like, no, no, no. Some other girl doesn't get all that work that we put in together. And I'm like, all right, okay, I'm not going anywhere. You deserve, you deserve my best now, now that you've been through the worst. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think and a thing to bring up right there though is it took a willingness on both ends. 100%. And so I think that's one thing that some people are like, well, I want to be with this person, but they won't do the, as you said, the inner yeah. work. Yeah, 100%. So that, how do you tell, you know, if that person, because some people are like, yeah, I, I want that, but it's, this person is like, we've been through it, but maybe they get to a threshold or, you know. Totally. What do you think about that? 
So one of the biggest caveats real quick, babe, and then you totally rock and roll on this one. I did want to say the biggest caveats when we talk about this in all of our relationship topics is like this obviously excludes like abuse and like really um, like intense situations where it's attacking towards each other versus you're just struggling through something. And then Ash will go through like also what to answer that question of how do you tell what are you looking for to be able to go through that? Because that is like the number one question we get on all of our platforms. I think that the biggest thing that couples are facing is that they're being programmed to be very independently focused and not realize that a coupleship because they're so scared of codependency. Like we are so conditioned in society to be like, be independent, don't be codependent, right? But what we're not being told is that the other side of codependency is hyper independence. It's just as toxic and just as unhealthy and not um, a conducive environment for a relationship as codependency. What we really need is interdependence where we healthily depend on each other and we're sovereign and individual. There's both. I can receive help and I can give help. And Without it threatening my individuality. Yeah, and I can give to you what you need without it threatening what I need. But we're so afraid of codependency that we think we're going to sacrifice ourselves by merging with another. And so what we've come to find is that both of these strategies are what we were just talking about coping mechanisms for unhealed trauma from growing up in unhealthy you know environments ourselves with parents with their own dysfunction or just going through dysfunction as adults and developing that to keep ourselves safe so whether we're codependent and we're clinging and hoping someone's going to be the solution to our problems or whether we're trying to hyper maintain our independence to not merge with another person both of these are coming from an untruth of just self-preservation. And everybody deep down, the real truth is that we all want to experience love in this life. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the experiences. You can have all the stuff. And we've seen this in society of like really famous influential people committing suicide because they're missing the meaning of life with this sharing it with another person and having that experience of deep unconditional love with another being. And what we're not seeing as a society is that the solution to that is healing ourselves so much that we're in a place that we're able to be loved, like Matt was saying, in our worst selves. And we're able to admit that we need to work on ourselves and that we need to heal. And to be so supportive that we're able to see someone through their process and be patient enough to see that maybe they're just in the thick of it right now. And it's not all, it's not the end all, it's just right now. And so what we say about like couples being dedicated to the inner work is or, you know, having that kind of relationship is you have to assess your values. And when you're entering a relationship, ask each other, you know, where where are our values? Like, what do you value the most in life? Is it success? Is it money? Is it love? Is it spiritual enlightenment? Mm -hmm. And what you'll come to find out is that no matter what your value system is, if you really look deeply at it, the truth is that being in a relationship should help and enhance that, not take away from it. And if we can start to change our perspective that you know relationships are healthy, beautiful places for us to not hinder us or not you know break like not trigger us, uh, the triggering is to heal is is an opportunity for us to heal. 
And so I feel like if we can switch our like perspective that, you know, without love or without companionship in this life, everything else is meaningless. We come to find out that really like the biggest priority in our lives is our relationships. And so if we don't focus on them, what really do we have? We're just going to keep starting over and ending back at square one. And most people, no matter what the life circumstances is, uh, you know, in, in all different levels of poverty and wealth, the main thing they're talking about is their relationships. It's the only thing that matters to us as humans. And so even if that's a relationship to God, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. even a relationship mm-hmm. with God. And so if we can just focus on how we are in relationship like to another person, I think it leads to success. I think it leads to freedom. I think it leads to spiritual enlightenment. It It's self-development at its finest. And so I think that when you're thinking about relationship and you're like, well, does this other person want to do that? I think it's a grander conversation about like, what is the meaning of a relationship to you? What is the purpose of it in your life? Where are your values at? And and maybe like as a society, redefining, redefining the importance of a relationship and putting it back at the forefront of our hierarchy of needs because Western society has deduced it so far away. The family unit, relationships, everything has taken a backseat to being an individual and independence. And I think that we really need to reevaluate the importance of relationship and then it will be an easy decision to do in our work. And then it's like once those values are aligned, the day in and day out ingredient that's absolutely required is accountability. So to answer that on the practical sense of like what is what a couple's need, yeah, you need the willingness, you have to have the values aligned for the same meaning and purpose behind the relationship, but then you have to have tons of accountability. And it has to be, accountability has to be the bedrock of the relationship or else you can't, there, there can be no inner work done without accountability. So if anyone is, if anyone in the relationship is not showing up with accountability, you'll be beating your head against the wall because you won't be able to get anywhere without vulnerability. That accountability, we could say to give other words for it to keep resonating. It's like being able to be humble, being able to admit your humility, mistakes. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, humility, being able to, uh, refl- self-reflect, which we take for granted. We think everybody knows how to self-reflect. They don't. A lot of people don't. I mean, all you got to do is think about the most obnoxious person in your life and you'll be like, how do they not know that? And it's like, well, probably because they literally don't know that they are that way. They probably literally are so in the thick of their ego that they don't even realize how they affect other people. So it's like an interesting thing that we take for granted, being able to be accountable. We say it like, yeah, man, be accountable, be accountable. But it's like most people, that is like hard to do. And so that's why we spend most of our time talking about it because without it, you can't have anything else. You can't be successful. You can't be, you can't be healthy. You can't be wealthy. You can't be a good relationship. So like it always comes down to accountability of this bedrock of being able to be vulnerable, self-reflect, see what you're doing that could be hurtful and could be therefore a weakness. Like you are doing something that is that is counterproductive. It's like the most like safest way to word it. The last thing I want to say is that to tie it all together of like why we're the yoga couple and why we wrote the book, The Inner Work, is that they're synonymous. Like the path of yoga is a path of yeah. a, a contemplative lifestyle, of living a lifestyle of constant self-reflection. That is the yogic path that leads you to ultimate self-realization and enlightenment. And the best way for you to see yourself is through the mirror of a relationship. 
But that was my next question is what I wanted to go back to. You said using your passion about using the, the core philosophy or way of perceptions that yoga uses in the inner work. So I was curious as to what your definition. So we, we basically said, what is yoga? Because when people say, a lot of people in the West, especially when they hear the word yoga, they think, oh, I'm stretching. Right, or like yeah, doing some fitness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'd like to just, if you guys don't mind, go into the the way that you view yoga a little bit deeper because I think it's mm -hmm. massively different. Even for me for a long time, that's for what sure. I thought it was. And I didn't realize it actually had ancient roots. Hey, if you're enjoying today's podcast, I just want to let you know, if you want to support it, which is what keeps this thing going and keeps these episodes coming out, thank you to everyone who's already done this. But if you haven't, check out my book and today's sponsor, 10 Secrets of Awakening, The Secrets to Consciousness, Life Transformation, and Self-Realization. If these topics interest you, quantum mechanics, the subconscious mind, understanding the dynamics of your mind, emotions, these kind of things, I really recommend you check out my book. The link for that is going to be below. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do a blanket and then Ash can go into the nuances of it. So the blanket statement would be like, yoga in its truest sense is union with the divine. Um, so let's go into some of the nuances of that. So it's living your life in a way where ultimately you are removing your own ego blockages from merging with the divine will and being able to surrender to the magic of life, the mystery of life, and the and the and the joy and love that that is the most profound joy and love of all life is divinity. So let's give a working definition here of of divinity, right? Because it's like yoga is union with the divine. It's like cool. What's that, <laughs> right? So we got mm -hmm. some layers here. So it's like think of divinity as think of the most joyous bursting with gratitude and love moments of your life that was you like aligned with the divine usually it's like with looking at your child that you just like love and your heart explodes or like your loved one or your partner or like the most proudest moment of your life and you just feel like yes like so effulgent that's the divine will right there that is like merging with the divine so yoga is a path to being and living in a state of that constantly <laughs> mm. like sign me up yeah. and so the relationship is the ultimate place to experience that because wh why can't we experience that because our ego has so many resistances and attachments that block us from being able to experience that state all the time so technically we're already all enlightened we're already all divine we're already all this but why don't we feel it not because we're not capable of it already not that we have to gain something or learn something it's that technically all inner work is and all true spiritual work or yogic work is is removing the obstacles to what is innately our truth divinity enlightenment is our truth already it's our it's our true self and that's why in a lot of yogic literature they they refer to enlightenment or divinity as the self with a capital s because it's actually who we are our ego has just covered all of it uh, and our ability to receive love and to feel love. Our ego is so vulnerable that it's constantly shutting us off from love. Like my biggest one, I'm constantly insecure. And what that insecurity of my ego is doing is it's blocking me from just feeling loved and feeling safe and feeling secure and like feeling God's grace. So relationship allows you the opportunity to see all the places you're terrified 
of loving and being loved. And all of those aspects of ourselves that are threatened by life, by another person, by our own thoughts, by, our, by ultimately our perceptions of the way things are, are fortunately not concrete and real. They're just the way we're currently living and experiencing and perceiving life. And so the yoga path is a path of, like I said, a contemplative lifestyle and a path of self-reflection that leads to self-realization because through self-reflecting and witnessing yourself, you're able to see your own blockages, you're able to see your own coping mechanisms, you're able to humbly admit your own shortcomings, you're able to admit your fears. And ideally through that process of revealing, like the revealing process, it's like shining the light of awareness is what they call it. Shining the light of awareness on your shadows, on your unconscious. Through that process of doing that and living that, you will not rid yourself of them. You'll be able to live at peace with yourself in it. And when you can do that, that's what leads to God realization because God is unconditionally loving. How could we become God realized if we don't love ourselves enough to admit our own shadows? We cannot have compassion and love another person. And so by admitting to myself, all the shit that I have and I am, I'm able to have compassion and hold space for him and, and allow him to be imperfect and love him anyway, the same way that God loves me imperfectly. That's really the process. And what does God mean in the yoga tradition? So it depends on who you ask and like yeah. what... There's different schools in, yeah, in a lot of different traditions. Yeah, what school of thought. And there, there are a lot of different paths that use like a deity as an external representation of the divine and there are plenty of paths that are non-dual that recognize that there is no one other than yourself right and that's where that kind of like i am god concept i am comes from but one of our teachers uh ramakrishna says that the best way to look at it is to constantly surrender to something higher than yourself because the ego is very very tricky and here is something that we see a lot in the spiritual community that I want to hit on really quick um, when we're talking about like merging and relationships and like unconditional love and like, you know, self-realization and I am God is that the ego is very, very tricky. And this is why we say the best path to self-realization is with a person, another person is in relationship because somebody else can see you through your own bullshit. So if I get too egotistical with myself and I am God and I I I can't do anything wrong and everything is divine like Matt everything was, is love everything is love <laughs> after so, all it's all non-dual baby so Matt was <laughs> so I can abuse you and it's love okay like I could be an addict and it's love man yeah so that whole concept of Matt talking about like you know that that divine bliss of like that samadhi state is like ultimately the goal and who we are and we're just you know not experiencing it. That concept itself gets bypassed when the ego grabs a hold of it because the ego cannot know God, only the true self can. And so the ego takes that information and uses it as an excuse for all of its, uh, all of its behavior and all of its tactics. And so Ramakrishna says the best thing to do, and you know, he's obviously like a, a yogic, uh, self-realized enlightened yeah, master well known as an enlightened it. figure of our time yeah he says the recent. best thing to do is to not deem yourself god and yeah. keep 
keep the worship on something outside of yourself because again that helps us love another person instead of becoming so egotistical it's like see him as god like i see the god in you like you're god in front of me like i'm gonna worship you and love you and serve you and care for you yeah like see, like the buddhist teaching similar of like see everyone in your life as buddha and you will like know enlightenment so, so it's like this this pattern of seeing giving it outside because then you know you're keeping your ego uninvolved and the, the the thing about last thing i'll say about relationships is that the reason why we feel like this is so important is because people get a hold of these concepts without the fullness of the story and they like combine new ageism is just like a combination of all these esoteric traditions you know combined into one but it's not the fullness of any of them it's parts of each of them but when you really dive into like one tradition seriously, like we have with yoga and you get the fullness of that story, there's so many nuances that are being missed in Instagram new age spirituality. Mm -hmm. And so one of those things that I have seen just massively take over is spiritual narcissism and people using oneness and, and enlightenment and all is bliss and all is one. And I'm just in high vibes for completely completely bypassing their own inner work and self-reflection. But when you have a relationship, that is ideally your, somebody's gonna check your ass. And most people <laughs> don't have a living guru today. We're not living in the Himalayas. We're not living in an ashram, living an ascetic life where we have a teacher like Paramahansa Yogananda did with you by your side every day to hold you accountable. In this yuga, like Kali Yuga, this time, the idea is that the best person that could be your guru is your partner. And if you can be married and in a, or, or, you know, in a committed relationship with somebody who's also on the spiritual path of self-realization, they can hold you accountable to your shit and you should be on your knees thanking them because they are your liberator. And I just wanted wow. to add to, to um, something you were saying a second ago. I just lost it, but it's, it's so important to, Nah, I lost it. It'll have to come back, but it was that just was too deep. I mean, like everyone just sit in silence and think about your partner and just be like, damn, <laughs> I love them. <laughs> and but then if you don't have a partner yet, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are in that space. Mm -hmm. You know, so then I'm kind of wondering about if you're in that but you don't want to yearn too much that you suffer. You know what I'm saying? You know like because we talked about before in our conversation that night about you desire too much it can cause mental suffering yeah yeah hold on i remember what i was going to say um real quick on the <laughs> spiritual narcissism thing is so that is really common and i just wanted to give an example of what a lot of us maybe have seen to really illustrate it even more the bypassing thing is this right so anybody who is familiar with unconditional love or non-duality and have pondered this concept you do end up in a paradox because you realize that all suffering is technically your greatest blessing. Okay, so you got to let that sink in. So the reason why everything is non-duality, and this is why I got stuck in this trap too, is it also means all your hurtful behavior and all the hurtful behavior done to you is love to you. And let's, if you're like, what the fuck? There's no way. Here's why. Every suffering you've ever had is benefiting you in the form of expanding you in some way, shape, or form. It is making you wiser. It is making you more compassionate. It is making you more forgiving. Or it can. Right. That's its potential. That, yeah, that's its potential. Yeah. So but we're talking about non-duality here. This is why 
non-duality says everything is love everything is god and so the, immediately people are like how the hell is all my suffering god and how is that love and this is this is why i'm trying to say like this is why we get into spiritual narcissistic traps that we see in the new age movement or just in the the uh trendy non-dual kind of movements that we've especially in the yoga community we've come across endlessly because basically people will wrong you and they'll hurt you but it's all love baby because you can be you can do this spiritual rationalization to say well maybe i just was helping you forgive because so i was an asshole to you so that you could forgive me so i was just helping you be more forgiving do you see how a narcissist uh, the ego can take this and become extremely narcissistic and use it to rationalize abuse that's why there's so many fallen gurus out there they start sleeping with people they start stealing things they start being offensive they start doing all the things that violate their own principles because the ego the, the bigger it's like the more sophisticated the game the more sophisticated the ego so it's like the more sophisticated you become the more sophisticated your ego becomes so the more knowledge you accumulate that's also what your ego can use against you and so the problem that we find in the in the communities of people who are studying this more advanced stuff it is like and this it happened to me too like it happened to us that's why we are so passionate about it is because like yeah we did that too because once you start learning it the ego starts to be like hey this is this can really like help me bypass some shit i can really use this to get myself out of some guilt and get myself out of some shame yeah this is nice and so what we've had happen to us so many times is people will cause hurt but then there's no accountability and so that's why we're so passionate about accountability and why Ash was like, hey, a partner's going to check your ass and be like, hey, that wasn't cool because it helps you get past this spiritual narcissistic trap that happens to all of us when we start getting into this, this topic of non-duality. And so when that happens, the opportunity is for us to not use spirituality to defend ourselves. Exactly. But to inquire and say, let me look deeper into that because I live a self-reflective lifestyle exactly. and there might be something here that can benefit me as painful and humbling as it is to sit with, that's my work. Yeah, and, and did I have a secret ulterior motive? And <laughs> we don't necessarily need to yearn for a partner, but yeah, I, I would say whenever a partner does present themselves, it's helpful to lean into this as a relationship strategy from yeah. the beginning instead of going into a relationship and it being just like, oh, only for pleasure and fulfillment and this should just be fun all the time and I'm just supposed to be desired all the time and you're supposed to affirm me and find me sexy and like when you're not, then I need to move on to the next one to get something out of it. Instead, yeah. we use the relationship as a simulation for the highest goal, which is the self-realization and see our partner as our greatest gift for that. And then secondly is that it doesn't have to be a partner. This could be yeah, a relationship to, with yeah, a exactly. friend, with your parents, yes. with your mother, brother, sister, coworker. Yeah. Every relationship, like Ram Dass would say, is like God and drag. Mm -hmm. And so every relationship offers you this opportunity on some degree and on yep. some level. And if you are approaching life this way, you're approaching relationship this way because essentially mm -hmm. life is just navigating relationships. Exactly. So I'm glad we circled back to that. So we could lean back into the buddhist teaching of see everyone as buddha see everyone as your teacher and so you can be single and god is still communicating to you constantly through the stranger through the cashier through your friend through your mom through your dad through whoever and it's essentially every time you're getting triggered that is your invite 
that's what's blocking you that's what's from blocking you the self-realization that so how many of us our families are trigger the shit out of yep. us there's your teacher right there mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so then you're starting to see the external environment as a stimulus for your own self-realization well i think the biggest thing to to go back to the original like question of like okay so why is having a guru so like literally necessary it was because, for a long time, right? But it still is. Because when left to your own devices, your ego will can't see outside of itself. It will preserve itself for fucking... It'll claw, scratch, and dig and hold on forever because it's what it's designed to do. It is designed to survive. And so it will sque- squeam its way into any nook and cranny it can find. Even if you... Like, here's a funny thing my teacher... Uh, David Hawkins always says about the ego and enlightenment is he's, he, when he talks about developing a spiritual ego, he says the ego in its final desperate grasp to survive will spiritualize itself with the idea of if I can become enlightened, I will live forever. So the ego's final temptation is to seek enlightenment. And that is what we see with most people in the spiritual community is technically it's just their ego in a glorified form seeking to become enlightened to survive because the ego thinks if i can become enlightened then i'm eternal not accepting that it is going to die it is temporary and it has to be transcended by letting it go which brings us full circle back to ramakrishna who says stop saying you're god and surrender to god it's much safer because that way you know you're letting go of the ego whereas non-duality in those types of teachings it's so it's still the truth but it is damn tempting to the ego. You're leaving this like huge door for the ego to be like, this sounds like a great way to preserve myself. It, to let go of all the rules of some organized religions because yes. you don't have any accountability. Yes, and then there's no accountability, exactly. One thing, one other way that you've described it before that I've always really resonated with is that the ego will take every truth and twist it into a half truth. 100%. So an example that you've given of that was like, it'll take the truth of, I, I can do anything I want, mm-hmm. for example, and it will stop there. When the full truth is, yes, you can do anything that you want, however, there are consequences to every exactly. single action. You just got goosebumps, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we talk about that one in particular all the time too. I think another one is um, that I used and saw myself come up as an addict I I used to literally praise God. Thank you for this porn. Thank you for this alcohol. Wow, God, you're so kind. Because the ego will say everything is loving you. So there's a half truth, right? It's like everything is God. Everything is love. And so my ego took that, spun it, distorted it, and said, cool, all every pleasure, all these like over um, indulgences, our love wow thank you god thank you for this addiction i get to have wow not realizing like you just said yeah man you could be an addict all you want and like that's great that god gave you the freedom to explore that experience however (laughs) consequences and so that's why we're just again it's like it always comes back to accountability of like all right what's the choice what's the consequence and when in doubt like usually nine out of ten times that teaching alone catches your ego in something your ego is usually up to something there when you start to examine like for example another half truth might be like how i treat ash like 
Um, it's all love. So when I get angry at her, well, I'm just expressing myself and I'm just being in my, I, come on, you're supposed to unconditionally love me. This is another great half truth. Hey, babe, we're married forever. So unconditionally love each other, right? But then the ego loves using that as an excuse to treat our partners however we want and to cause harm and then be like, oh, but you're supposed to unconditionally love me and unconditional love means I can do whatever I want. Huge half truth that the ego loves to twist. So you start to see all these really interesting half truths that come out in relationship. And it is a trippy thing to start to connect the dots and be like, holy crap, our human egos are so trippy. <laughs> like they are so trippy to start to observe and self-reflect on. Okay, now there's a lot of different <laughs> a lot of different questions. There's a lot of different things I could go for there. So shit, trying to pick one up. Okay. You guys are the most, some of the most grounded people that I know because I actually know you. I feel like I know you a decent amount, you know, compared to other people. And I think I even might have a lot of other people that aren't grounded on the podcast because that's just the nature of when you're talking about metaphysical things. <laughs> you're going to find some people that aren't, you know? And so since you guys have been through that journey and you, you've kind of been able to self-reflect and I've seen that and I can tell that it's there, what do you think are some more things, if you have any, off the top of your head that the new age kind of community, how can we distinguish? What, what's that? Uh, go out, finish your thought, and then I'd like to add something. Okay, to this, to this question? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, definitely, I want you to. Um, but, yeah, being on the outside of that, kind of in the yoga, the more yoga, and you might, you might have been able to see it, so what mm -hmm. are some things about new age that you think are some real traps? Well, can you first define what you mean by the word grounded? Yes, you've done the inner work. <laughs> That's what I would say. Okay, I would add to that, and I would say... I would agree that I see you guys as very grounded. And what that means to me is that you've integrated these high level self-aware spiritual concepts, but also you acknowledge this physical reality and you don't run away yeah. from it and you don't run away from, from problems, but you actually, from my vantage point, run at them head on. Mm -hmm. And even if you maybe don't at the beginning, you eventually work around that. Whereas a lot of people will use spirituality to escape their reality. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I guess 100%. I, should, I need to add a little bit more nuance because I kind of <laughs> kept it general there. So when I say the word grounded, to me, it means like what I see that separates you guys from a lot of other people is that they use spirituality as a tool to basically what you're saying. It kind of, mm -hmm. it's kind of escape reality instead of... How do I learn to never having, incarnate on earth ever again? How, right. do, I, how do I graduate how do I never from suffer? this? Level? Basically, yeah, yeah. they want to use this experience as a basically a springboard to another which could be ets sure an, another life or see that's the know. ego just trying to get shit again see <laughs> the ego's mm -hmm. always like come on give me something yeah i really am passionate about this yeah this is our favorite and question. i i think I've witnessed, you know, so many people go on this journey of seeking an answer that is beyond uh, what their current society is giving them for why we're here and what we're all doing. And when you get so fed up or you've gone through so much trauma or you feel like you don't belong, people run toward new age spirituality and they run toward uh, yoga. Uh, it seems to be a place that is more welcoming and open uh, to, you know, alternative perspectives where a lot of people are confined to being feeling very controlled in like religious settings. 
And when that doesn't sit right in the soul, they go to the east, you know, and they're like, well, maybe it's going to be here. Um, but I think that one of the biggest problems that I've witnessed in that is that people, uh, number one, I will say, are not going to credible sources for information. They're going to people who are at the same level of seeking that they are at, just as confused and just as lost. And just because we have social media now and we have Instagram and TikTok and all of these places and we are able to share information at an enormous speed and rate, it, it's, it's flooded with information. And so I think we go to these places because we're looking for answers, but what we don't realize is that we're getting solutions and answers from people who are at the same level of confusion <laughs> that we're and, at. And that's why the need of a genuine teacher is just, again, is so important. And so I would say, and just as a little backstory, like for a little bit of like perspective of where I'm coming from is that I have been seriously studying Hinduism and yoga philosophy for over a decade and not from Instagram teachers, but from the actual ancient texts. Um, and going to the to the actual stream opening where the water's flowing out and going to the source and saying, well, what does the actual source say? Not what the person interpreting the source is saying. And you actually went to India. Yeah, and yeah, we're going about again to go tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 6 a.m., we're going to drive months. you there. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that is a key thing that's missing from a lot of seekers' lives. And I think that one solution, if they went and actually read the Bhagavad Gita or the Yoga Sutras or the Upanishads or, the Upanishads or I mean, Rama, the Gospel of Ramakrishna or Paramahansa Yogananda, any of those things I'm mentioning. Or Ramana Marashi. If they go to the actual source of where that information is getting dispersed from and then spread out, it's like the game telephone. It's like one person told one person told one person told one, and then it's just getting distorted, distorted, distorted. I think that would eliminate, eliminate a lot of the confusion about... Um, seeking spiritual enlightenment, I think that would clear up so much about what the path actually is, which isn't running away from suffering, but embracing suffering. And then I think the second thing that's happening is that people are using it as a coping mechanism for their trauma and from their nervous system imbalance and dysregulation. And so, of course, like one coping mechanism might be to go to alcoholism or, you know, having like, uh, a porn addiction or doing drugs. But another coping mechanism is immersing yourself in like escaping your life through working out rigorously. Another mm -hmm. coping mechanism is through spiritual aliens and crystals and it's all a coping mechanism. And I think if we can start to recognize that we are grasping for something to comfort and soothe us mm -hmm. and realize that it's just a different version of a coping mechanism, that would then lead us to, well, then what is the solution? Which would be to realize why are we even needing to cope in the first place? Which Face leads to the inner shit. work. Yes. Okay, well then, I think a question I'd have is, when you say those things are coping mechanisms, how do we distinguish when something is a coping me mechanism and there's actually something we're interested in and is actually helping us? Or, or yeah, a healing. Help. I yeah. think a coping mechanism is when you are evading dealing with the root cause of an issue. Yeah. So yeah, let's so say that you have a issue with uh, your finances, okay? It's clearly obvious in your life that you have credit card debt or that you aren't paying your bills down or that you're spending too much or that you can't have consistency with your with your money. 
instead of actually looking at that and being honest and being like, I need to deal with this stuff. We say, oh, I'm just going to do law of attraction and manifest and I'm going to have all these crystals for abundance and light these candles and like do these mantras. And like we are avoiding doing the hard shit that is that is more what we would call 3D and like and like the real work of earth. Mm -hmm. And we think that there's a way to magically evade and escape. And so whenever we're avoiding, oh, my husband and me are having issues like I'm going to just like um manifest like my twin flame because he's might not be my twin flame instead of looking at like why am i actually having a relationship problem what's coming up in this relationship it's when we are running away from looking at the root cause that is a coping mechanism so i want to jump back real quick to kind of the merging of these two questions i think one of the biggest things that we differentiate on and this comes from yoga is most teachings are about escaping discomfort and we're like fuck that face your discomfort so yoga the true message is not to avoid discomfort but to sit in it like sit in it like literally be in it yeah otherwise you're never free so yoga is actually about being free and so we say well what does free mean it means you are completely unmanipulatable you cannot be changed manipulated or reactive so external to anything internal external whatever you are in complete control of your of your consciousness so real quick i want to answer that original question is it's my favorite another one of those favorite compliments to hear that like we're grounded another one that's funny like i remember this one client tell me he's like man of all my like spiritual people i know in my life or teachers that i've studied you and your wife are the most normal I've ever met. I'm like, yes, fuck yeah, man. I'm glad you think I'm normal because that means I'm human and we all are. And everybody who gives you an impression that they're not is a red flag. And anytime people are trying to be inhuman or spiritual or ascended or all this shit, that is a huge red flag because it means it's not, like you guys said, grounded literally in the humanness of this experience. Okay, and- well, with that, how do you... People will have sort of what they perceive as past life experiences and they might go into past life regression and they might feel like they are that. Um, and they might have that subjective, oh, I actually experienced it versus I think. I think there can be a difference if like, oh, it sounds cool to be a starseed or it sounds cool to be sure. from the Pleiades or, you know, these things. And then you might have people that have that visceral experience. And so then do you think them identifying as that is kind of harmful? in a sense or how how would you do how would you go about that so it all just depends on the context of how they're using it okay at the end of the day if you're if that is helping you work through your discomfort and it's giving you hope and optimism that's fine if you're using that to just like be like none of this applies and this none of this is real then it becomes an escape. But hold on, before we move on, I do want to say this real quick. You're so ready. (laughs) She's so ready to jump in on something. I just wanted to say on the last question, so before we move on is because it's like, it is such a common thing that's going on is we think that being human is less spiritual than all the spiritual stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like like paying your taxes (laughs) is fucking spiritual. Being responsible is spiritual. Being in a marriage is spiritual. Being able to have a relationship is spiritual. Doing your chores around the house is spiritual. 
that's what people don't understand. We don't understand that being human is a profoundly spiritual experience. And so when you brought up like, what is everybody doing that's that's different in terms of when you guys see the new age movements or these like heavy spiritualized stuff, why is it yeah. so ungrounded? It's because if you if you feel into it, you will notice there's a subtle aversion to being human. There's like a subtle like wow. there's yeah. a subtle like I'm a star seed and then and then underneath that is usually like so therefore being human like it doesn't matter. There's a subtle oh, it's there. Shit. And every time I talk to someone who's a channeler <laughs> or into that stuff, there's a huh? subtle avoidance that they think their humanness is less than. And that is the mistake right there because it means that you've officially bifurcated your consciousness and thought somewhere else is more real and important to, than right now, which we know is just another ego escape in the same way someone thinks money is like happiness. Being a starseed is my happiness. Oh. Like, no, dude, being human is where your happiness is. There's nowhere else to go. There's yeah. nowhere else to be. There's yeah. no, it's now, it's all now, it's all right now. But there's this subtle undertone that being human is a problem. And yoga is like, no, being human is divine. And it's time for you to just sit in that and it's all about being in the discomfort. Hand, Ash, go. Okay. <laughs> I have been raising my hand for ten minutes. Okay, hit it. You got to. You got I'm to go just first. Him go. You got to I go mean, first. We we've got time. You got we've to got go time. first. So We're chilling. The coping mechanisms, like crystals, whatever, yeah. they're not coping mechanisms when they're not used as coping mechanisms. Yeah, they if you, just if you're are. using them in conjunction like, to do I got, your inner you work. Know, crystals here, yeah. incense, lit, whatever. There was maybe a time in my life where I was using them as a coping mechanism, and now they're now I'm not. Mm -hmm. So wait, wait, can I clarify that real quick? Yeah, just to to lock it in. It's like so. For example, let's say my yoga practice, if I or the crystals or whatever, if I'm doing that. And then I'm not reflecting on any of the discomfort. That's a coping mechanism because I didn't do anything. It's the same way when I used to drink a, if I drink alcohol to run away from a feeling. So it's like, oh man, I'm feeling insecure. I need to now just go drink. I'm not going to process the insecurity. I'm just going to feel better. So what people do is they'll just oh, spiritualize okay. their escape and they say, man, I did my yoga practice. I feel better. But they never reflected on the thing. Yeah. That's the coping. Okay, Excuse so me, that's a coping mechanism. Okay, go. Okay, I go. had my hand just, rose. You nailed it. So I wanted to like just I know layer I was that nailing out. it. Let okay. me nail <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, keep going. Keep going. And now we are processing our relationship. What? Not right even. Right here on Queen, the hit Nick it. Side Podcast. Universe the game. Universe the game. Right. <laughs> hit it. So that was correct. And that was what I was saying. <laughs> Thank you for summarizing that. And secondly. Keep going. Keep going is that there are many enlightened masters and sage who not many like they are all very aware of all of their past lives but what they all say and that's why i say you have to keep going back to the original source of these teachings of people who have actually come before us and achieved and accomplished this is they say and it doesn't matter doesn't matter because in i'm in this incarnation yeah, and this matter. is yes. my work okay, that's it it. Is, I, yeah right there too and I, and all of that yeah. becomes an ego distraction again ego. if i lean into it even dr hawkins says that yeah, he's very new, aware of his past lives like, but please just, he says please don't even go there because your ego, your will, ego get attached. will get attached and wrapped up in it and it's hard enough untangling from this one identity why you yeah. want to add more oh i was from egypt why and i was identities? an egyptian priest or pharaoh in the last time it's like who fucking cares man right now you're broke poor and destitute and unhealthy and you need to fucking focus on that focus on that stop trying to run away 
It's like, yeah. it's always about creating new identities that avoid the shit people don't want to deal with in this life. And that's why it always comes down to like, dude, focus on this reality. So in summary, one of the greatest tools that we can invite people to do is one, A, do their inner work. But second, a great tool has been uh, working with the chakra system because so many people, like if you're aware of the chakra system, um, we have these energy channels going through our being, our subtle energy body. Do you know where those originate? They're Hindu. Okay. Yeah, they're from... They're I think from, that's important because there's a bunch of different systems. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wanted to... They're originally Hindu information okay. that have been appropriated and maybe misinterpreted, not misinterpreted, have been reinterpreted into other traditions, but the original concept of chakras comes from Hinduism. And this idea and this concept that we have a manifestation channel and an ascension channel. There are consciousness, the, the whole story of creation through Hinduism is that our consciousness has descended through layers of the elements. And so every element contains all the previous elements within it. So earth element has all of the elements above it. It has water, it has fire, and then it goes on. And so like ether is the quickest and earth is the densest. And it's so funny when people are obsessed with manifestation because in Hinduism, the channel of manifestation is a downward current. It's consciousness descending down into the root, down into earth. And actually the way we manifest is from slowing down and getting grounded. Or and, you're, in other words, you're bringing thought into action. <laughs> and form. And, and so form. when we're dealing with manifestation, we're working with root energy. And when, when all the things that have to do with root are the things that have to do with our earth experience. So and they all take time, our health, and energy, money, and discipline. Home, and all of those things are long, um, slow, slow gratification processes. Delayed gratification. So the current of manifestation of like consciousness, even creating this universe and form, ideally, what the, the form that we're experiencing is the slowest density. And so if we're going to bring anything into this density, ourselves, material, money, all these things, Everybody's like, oh, money's just energy. Well, in earth, like in, in the realm of earth, of, of currency, it's actually a slow density. This is like the earth element. And so we have to bring our consciousness down and, and slow down and deal with, with not instant gratification, the internet. That's why it's ether. That's why social media is fast because it's in the ethernet. It's the air element. It's fast. But in physical form, in earth, in our body, changing our body, healing ourselves, healing our emotions, uh, working with our home, our finances, our career, we have to actually deal with not instant gratification, but delayed gratification. Developing relationships. Healing mm -hmm. relationships. And so what I could say to the spiritual community, <laughs> nobody hang me up on the cross and come for me. <laughs> but I'm just saying is that the actual work most spiritual people need to do is they have an extreme upward current of ascension. That's natural for them. They want to go up. They want to go in the ether. And usually, again, this is a trauma response because most people have trauma in their root, their sacral and their solar plexus. Money, home, family, finances, grow up in poverty, grew up in a toxic home, had a Didn't ever feel secure. Uh, mm -hmm. sexual abuses or emotional enmeshment with family, didn't have emotional intelligence taught to them and didn't have their autonomy or their willpower or their confidence, self-esteem self -esteem supported. And so they have the lower three chakra tra traumas. And as a coping mechanism, as kids, we said, well, screw that. 
earth is ghetto, I want to leave. And we ascended our energy up into our higher chakras. And so most people live in the spiritual realm actually have a lot of deficiency in their lower chakras. And what they actually need to do, which would serve them the most, it's the last thing they want to do, is actually go back into the 3D and deal with life. Yeah, and like clean your house and go to work and take care of your kids and work out and eat healthy and do all the boring shit that's good for you. We're like the most boring like episode you over probably had. A long period of time. No, I don't think so. With discipline and routine. And that's what it takes. Exactly. Coming all the way around. You know, full circle. Wow. Well, I've got a lot to think about here. Um <laughs> I'm I'm really resonating with that response to the past life thing because I've been adamant on the podcast about how we can get lost in what could be because i'm really and i'd love to hear all y'all's perspective on this it's really hard for me to say that i know anything because i feel like we can experience but you know i was talking to marco which this podcast will be after that podcast i did with marco and bruno but i said on that podcast a lot of times i went to the like seminars and people would say well i know this i know it and I'm like, do we even know that we were here yesterday? Do we know that we were the awareness that was incarnated and we just didn't have implanted memories and we came into the body (laughs) and it was actually Roy that was here yesterday, but I remember what Roy did and I'm Nick now, I guess. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, as I unravel more, it's so hard for me to even fathom that I know for sure that I had this past life and be that identified. And so that's why I've been adamant about unrolling that and kind of saying, well, what is, what's going on right now? And I think that the more that I do this podcast, the more I learn from guests and the more that I even just do my own work, it's more about just coming back to this moment and what is really here. What do you, what's in kind of what you're saying? What is the, the sensations that I'm experiencing and am I trying to, am I averted to those or am I, you know, am I attracted to keeping the feeling of feeling good? And if it's not there, then I'm going to use the coping mechanisms. And so I don't, I definitely don't think this is a boring podcast. I think this is a well needed, you know, because I chose adding a lot of nuance to a lot of different topics. Right. And I chose a, a podcast category of one where there is, I'm sure there's BS on the podcast in previous episodes, even me sometimes. And so having someone be able to say that in a different light is helpful. That's why I like having people on from a different variety of uh, traditions, because I think once we can start to see there's there's other perspectives that exist, because New Age is loud. <laughs> it's real loud. It also it sells really well. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was yeah. It's very satiating yeah. to yes. the ego to yeah. hear that you could get things instantly. Even with, the, you know, I've talked about the law of one, and I think uh, I did a lot of it in the law of one, and I enjoy the philosophy of the law of one, but I think it can be one that really ungrounds people and takes them to this place where they just want to be 50% or more in service to others and get to the fourth density. And that's all they're focused on is like, so I can do this. And it's just like, that's religious overtones of the, you know, the uh, Christian. It's like, I just want to do this. And we were talking about this last night. I just want to do this so that I can get, get somewhere else. Yeah. And it's better. <laughs> it's better there. I just got to, you know, yep. you're talking about Mormonism and enduring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to talk about that because that's the most wild thing. 
Okay, I want to say at one some point, thing. At some point. I want to yeah. say one thing about this idea of the ascension ideas is that the good news is, for everybody who is really attracted to it, is that the good news is, is we're not saying, and none of Hinduism or yoga philosophy is saying, like, that none of that is real and that ascension isn't real and that you can't live in higher states of consciousness. They're just saying you can't skip. You actually have to ground yourself, yeah. develop your ego, do your human life fully. You can't transcend an ego that you didn't develop. And we think we can we can skip, skip that skip, step. Yeah. And so the good news yeah. is, is that it is still real and it all is still relevant. Like ascension and higher consciousness is all still beautiful and great. But still have tr some truth. It's in it. just like, maybe maybe. not relevant to the stage, if we're honest with ourselves, that we're actually in need of. And so when we really look at our life, that is relevant to people who have truly succeeded in the human plane. Like they have healthy relationships. They've done their inner work. They've fully reached their potential with their, you know, dreams and goals and aspirations and service to humanity. And, and they're at the point where they know that there's something more. They haven't skipped anything. There's nothing averted. There's no undone business that they're escaping. You're not trying to use they don't, code. Yeah, they're not, they're not, uh, basically saying, I don't have to pay back my debtors. I'm just going to skip that because I'm going to ascend. So you know what? Screw my credit card debt. I'm Doesn't just going to leave and go to the Himalayas and claim bankruptcy. You can't skip steps. And so like as long as your life, you've really went through each stage of like your development. That's why I said the chakra system is really great. The themes of consciousness and the inner workbook are really yeah, great. That's what I was gonna say is if you work through those stages of human development, mm. eventually that phase does come. Yeah. But if you try to skip it and you skip all the hard stuff, uh, you're you're you are going to uh, in, endure a lot of suffering for that and have to go back anyways. Well, the, so just yeah. do it. Well, ultimately, it will it'll come out practically in the form of self sabotage. So, a really good uh, example we have uh, as a psychological observation oh. in society is like when people who are really poor win the lottery, they tend to over a period of time lose all that money and go back to a similar state they were already in. It's like this weird observation that they've had of lottery winners is because their consciousness is not rich. Their consciousness is still at whatever impoverished level it might have been when they won. And so they tend to just assimilate themselves right back to a similar state of financial situation they were in when they first won because their, their consciousness is not capable of knowing how to keep that wealth because they make choices that just lead them back to their impoverished state. So that's like a really good real life, like there's like this interesting observation in psychological um, view of lottery winners that they've said, well, this is kind of interesting. But if we, we as people that know consciousness, we can all look at that and say, well, that makes sense because your consciousness dr drives your choices. So anything, you can be given anything in life. Okay, well, let's use an even better example. You do made a great partner. But why can't most people successfully stay healthy in those relationships? Because you fuck it up. Because they could, they, in the beginning, you were like, oh my God, this is my dream person. This is my soulmate. And then like a year later, six months later, or a couple years later, you hate each other and you break up with them. And you like, you're like, screw this. It's the and character it's same thing. development it, th that's going to keep the life you actually stay. So even exactly. with spiritual enlightenment, you can get a hold of spiritual knowledge. But if your character isn't ripened, that You'll spiritual just knowledge it. will not actually serve you in the way that you've been told it would through reading. Yeah, so so that's a really good example when we brought up like spiritual narcissism earlier, for example. If you're in pride, like I was when I found all of this, 
like I said earlier, I just used it for spiritual rationalization to continue to be prideful and hurtful to people. So it's like, you that's why the themes of consciousness are so important that we go over in the inner work is like, there's a the, the journey is relative to where you are. So most people just need to learn to be accountable. That is like 80% of people's work. Just freaking achieve that. Like most people just need to be doing that. It's very, very rare. And, and, and like even in my own case studies of, of working with people one-on-one -on -one with clients and or our yoga teacher training, majority of people I work with, I would say, honestly, out of like, let's say a hundred people, only one or two of them do we need to be talking about like love and spirituality and like higher consciousness concepts. I, I'm not even kidding you. Out of how many? Like, let's say out of a hundred people, a hundred clients I've worked with, Two of them probably that's relevant. So two percent. Yeah, type of thing. I mean, we're just I'm just giving you an example here, but that's literally how it's felt and been most of the time. Like ninety eight, you know, ninety eight percent of the time, we are talking about hey, let's get your life together. But they don't want to. They want to talk about let's, the higher things. Let's, and it's yeah. just let's not talk relevant. about your relationship. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. your anger. Let's talk about your addictions. Let's talk about your finances. Let's talk about your health. Hey, you're super unhealthy. Let's look at that. Let's talk about your diet. Let's talk about, let's let's nip all this shit you thought I was going to give you a pass on. Let, yeah. Let's talk about all the stuff you thought I was just going to like yeah. not care about. And And it's so funny because that everybody thinks that like, you know, it, it's relative to, to talk about all this other stuff, but it honestly isn't. It, it's not really serving. And it is, and, and let me tell you this, it's kind of just to validate what Ash was saying. Those couple people who we did talk about that, guess what? Super successful, super healthy, very disciplined, very routine people, healthy families, healthy marriages. Those couple people, had ready. they had a very affluent, very successful life. They were, they were actually ready to start contemplating higher spiritual concepts. So just shit down my podcast. All right. We need to have more. Uh, more. Shit, what do we do now? Fuck. Oh, God. That's all my episodes. <laughs> it's okay. 98% of people they, still want to talk about they it. They still want to talk about it. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted to move in another direction anyways. Uh, damn. Well, it's, um, a, it's a balance though, right? Because you yeah. can even like kind of going back to what you're talking about with the law of one, you could look at the law of one as an escape or there could also be someone who hears the teachings of the law of one and they see it as, Oh, I'm, I am going to take this seriously and be accountable so that, and it be in service, be in service to others. That's so exactly right. Yeah, everybody's it's not journey about is perfect. The thing it's about, yeah, approaching it with accountability yeah. and, and you should read these spiritual texts. You should talk about them, oh, 100%. but you should internalize them as, as work to be done, not as an escape. So your podcast is extremely relevant. And what if you <laughs> assume that the 2% are the ones who are listening? Uh, <laughs> so if you're here listening, like, congrats, you, you made the cut. Percent of humanity is listening to your podcast. There it is, folks. You've made it. You're enlightened now. Yes, you're listening to universe. You are the ones, right? You're Neo, essentially. But okay, so then, what do you think about channeling? Then, because that's directly related to. And I think that's kind. Of, do you think channelers are basically talking to astral beings sometimes? Yeah, they're, they're talking to astral beings, but the, the caution that like we've been given through our studies in yoga philosophy and Hinduism is that you there is no way for our 
with our human cognition to truly know if we're talking to good and light and bad or if we're being deceived or we we really have we don't have the ability to truly know so it's just better just to just uh, like they say it's best to find a teacher who's actually in a body that's yeah, because, literally like yeah, because again it's like, like god doesn't need to play tricks Parmahansa, and it needs to be some astral thing god's like dude i can give you a real teacher if you really want one parmahansa yogananda <laughs> specifically wow. gave that counsel when he left his body yeah. Same and with Hawkins. he yeah. had Mahasamadhi. Like he chose to die on command. And when he left his body, he left behind him. He said, let my teachings be your teacher and uh, always find a teacher who's in a body. Yeah. And, and my teacher wow. as well, Dr. Hawkins says that wow. as well. Just avoid it because if you think you need to go to those realms, it's placing a limitation on God. And it's like, God's like, dude, I don't need to do weird magic tricks to talk to you. Like you don't need to get on acid or go some trippy like meditative trance state to talk to me just ask and you will receive like ask for a teacher or a guru and i'll give them to you and he'll so just do like you see god as a person then um no i sounds just, like a personal like personified version like, i think i take the stance of ramakrishna where personally it's both for me i think god is like unbounded and it can be simultaneous but i think for us as humans we can connect to the personage of symbolizing God as a as a personage because it's more relatable to us. Just like see God as a friend. But yeah, like see God as a friend, I think, or the loving father or the loving mother or whatever. But um, personally, I connect more with divinity as love, as an energetic concept because I was raised in the religion of a Christian religion of personifying god so that now i have like blockages with that but i guess when i speak it's just the habit of being human and kind of personifying and making things and what's that term like anthro anthropomorphic yeah like i'm just kind of like naturally putting that on it but it is useful just to see that as a relationship i think is most important and so whatever that is for you um mm -hmm. and it's a little easier to have a relationship with a symbolic concept of a mother or father or a friend which is why there are so many deities in hinduism because yeah. a lot of people think that uh hinduism is kind of like a greek, greek mythology where there yeah. are so many gods but it's actually all the same god but actually hinduism is monotheistic there is only one god it's, it's just, just appearing in all the different forms yeah so maybe you need god to be like your your warrior like friend that day and you need to pump you up then the next day, maybe you need God to like be nurturing and like mother-like to you. So Hinduism is the concept of these are all actually the same God. It's just the different versions, the infinite versions, because maybe you need God to be a friend. Maybe you need God to push you that day. Maybe you need God to nurture you. Maybe you need God to hold you accountable that day. You might have different roles you need God to fulfill in that moment. And so coming back to that original question, though, is like if we place a limitation on God and say, you got to talk to me in astral, this is what's real. It's kind of more like, or why don't we just give you a flesh and blood person that you can relate with, who's a genuine teacher? And how do you distinguish that, though? A genuine teacher? Yeah, because I think that's the thing we we're talking about credible sources earlier, and I kind of wanted to go back to that. How do you know who's credible and who's not? You know, do they claim credibility or, you know, because a lot of times we see what people think are credible sources really aren't, and yeah. that happens a lot in our culture, so. Yeah, I mean... You could use a good old muscle test. You could do a Hawkins style. Um, yeah. I mean, I think for me, my intuition is just always um, to go back to Jesus's teaching and to look at by their fruit, you shall know them. So someone actually asked Jesus that same question. How do I know a false 
guru from a real one? And his answer was, by their fruits, you shall know them. And so one of the things we lean into a lot is when you look at the fruits of someone's teachings and of their life, like here's a really good example. You got a spiritual teacher who's a yogi and they're sleeping with all their students. They're like calling it all tantric sex magic. And they're telling you this is the light. This is enlightenment. I know. But it's like endless like drama, suffering, like dishonesty, not integrous. Like this is like a good case in point. But it's not just viewing it from the outside. By your fruits, you shall know them means applying the teachings to your life. And does it work? And if it does it work in your life. And if your yeah. life becomes more chaotic or is uh, it's not even more chaotic because there is fruit in hard lessons. Yeah. It's it's paying attention to the fruit of those lessons. Are they actually developing your character? Yeah. And if they're developing your character toward like goodness, toward love, then that's how you shall know them. But if it's yeah. developing your character toward like the uh, law of yeah. one concept to be more self-serving, then that's how you will know that it's not genuine truth. I would I would say this too. Another favorite thing to discern truth and to be like, is this a genuine teaching or not? Is as you practice a teaching or you're in the presence of someone or doing a practice i always just ask myself when i look at where it's leading me so let's say like when i found law of attraction i say all right what's the fruit of this and if i check in again we're back to self-accountability it's always coming back to that yeah. if i self-reflect on what's making me feel and where it's leading my life it led me endlessly into desire addiction desire because it gave me complete free pass and permission to just exaggerate the shit out of that. And the fact, the stronger you think about it and just dwell on it and be in it, the better. So it's like, if I look at the fruit of that teaching for myself at that time, I say, all right, if I'm in like shame and I don't feel worthy of anything, that would be really relevant for me. Again, we're always back to themes of consciousness of like, yeah, if I'm in shame or guilt or judgment or I feel hopeless, getting to desire and to where I'm like thinking about having more and wanting more for my life, that's beautiful. But for me, at that point in my life, if I am like trying to be in accountability and like get closer to love and truth, that was leading to more suffering and it was leading me off the path because it's just cultivating an energy I don't want to have. It's leading to attachment. It led to addiction, led to like years of addiction. And so when you look at the fruit of a teaching, you also say, who has a vested interest in me feeling this way? This is like I really how I tell light from dark. So let's say I have a teaching that's like, hey, Matt, be like our Swami that we're going to go see in India was like the first Swami and spiritual teacher I'd ever met who fully endorsed because I asked him, I said, you know, I feel like my marriage has become my biggest attachment. And I have so many teachings that say, like, don't be attached to your wife. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, be responsible and being the best husband possible is the greatest, like your greatest growth towards Godhood you could ever have. And I'm like, what you're like the that's like that was hook line and sinker for me because he was the first spiritual teacher that taught me you being responsible and being a loving husband is your enlightenment and i was like okay so i checked the fruit of that and i say all right so he's telling me the fruit of that teaching is as i'm responsible and committed and honest to my wife and i commit to a lifetime vow that i made and i grow with her and i support her and i love her and i feel all that and i say who has a vested interest in me loving this woman with all of my heart and soul and showing up for her to be the best I possibly can be? Wow, who has a vested interest in that? Light or dark? Obviously the light. Then I go back to like a desire teaching that's like, yeah, Matt, be an addict, do whatever you want, 
You don't need to be married. In fact, be a bachelor. She's holding you back. From She's your holding you back, bro. You'd be dude, single, unattached. Dude, be unattached. Be magnetic as fuck. Like, let her go. Let her go. Like, do your own thing. Like, do whatever you want. And anything that like has holds you back is like the problem. And so, if I look at that teaching and I feel into that desire and I feel into that lust, and I go, who has a vested interest in me being a slave to lust? Obviously, the darkness. So it's like my favorite testament of a genuine teaching is by their fruits, you shall know them. So what's the consequences of the teaching? What, what feelings and emotions does it evoke in you as you pursue it? And where is it leading you? And then as you focus on what feelings it, it evokes in you, ask yourself, who has a vested interest in me having that feeling? Is this something that is life giving and enhancing? Because a lot of teachings boost your pride, for example. Same thing. Who has a vested interest in you being in pride? darkness because it means you're not humble it means you're not accountable it means you're not surrendering to a higher power so it's like for those who don't know the themes of consciousness this might not click as much but in the inner work we go over there's like these themes that are in the ego and it's like pride to shame and there's a bunch of between like desire and anger and and fear hopelessness guilt shame guilt or i already said that one regret grief being stuck in these kind of these lower human emotions that entrap us and any time we're in those, you know you're not in the truth. It's, it's ultimately not leading to something. It's not a good fruit, right? It's like you're eating a poisonous fruit. And then anything that leads to like accountability, humility, surrender to a higher power rather than surrender to the ego, surrendering to a higher power, surrendering to something above you, being grateful, joyous, wholesomeness, commitment, dedication, friendship, integrity. These types of feelings, these are all fruits of the spirit. They're like fruits of God. They're like fruits of goodness that nourish your soul, nourish your consciousness and progress you. And if we just take the moment to self-reflect and ask, what is the fruit of this teaching or this teacher? I mean, this is the coolest thing about the love of divine. We all have it. We just don't use it. We all have this compass. We just forget to check in with it and say, hey, What's the fruit of this? Instead, we're just like doing it and acting on it. And we don't ever stop and be like, what is the actual fruit of what I'm partaking in? It's kind of like the same reason why we eat food that's not good for us. It's like, when did we ever stop and be like, is this good for me? Like, should I be eating this? And so it's having that self-reflective check-in. And you can usually, your heart will always tell you if a teacher is genuine or not. It's like, I meet these yogis, like, let's... <laughs> Well, I won't say any names, but the point is you meet a yogi who, like I said, the, the cliche, especially for men, is like they're single and they're like sleeping with their students or they got their wife to somehow either go into Mahasamadhi and die and leave them or they got their wife to like break up with them and go into the mountains so they could be single again. <laughs> like there's always like these weird things you see and you're like, yeah, okay, what's going on there? <laughs> so yeah. I think you just got to really look at, at how, what they're up to. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, I've had people on the podcast for an hour or two, and they have said a lot of things about manifesting law of attraction. And we were driving yesterday to, uh, to go to dinner, and I asked you what you thought about manifesting, and it was one of the most helpful, most unique ways of describing it. So I would love to just go into your thoughts on what the truth of manifesting is. Oh, you, you want me to go for it? I, th 
were you asking Matthew specifically? Well, I want to hear you both, <laughs> but the way that you okay. described it. I mean, it's ultimately, car. it's all, it's us. You, I think you both we're, have yeah. the same opinion. So, for sure, for yeah. sure. Whichever our, one you want to Our biggest thing is just, you know what though? I just talked about it. So I want you to, you go for it, babe. So our whole belief on manifestation, again, comes from yoga philosophy and Hinduism because Paramahansa Yogananda talks a lot about manifestation. He's written a lot of books on uh, success and he has a testimony of manifesting like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or maybe it was a hundred thousands, but for his uh, retreat centers in like Encinitas that are like multi-million dollar properties now that were just donated to him. And uh, he has a life experience, a lived life experience of having money literally appear in his palms for exactly what he needed. And so he wrote a lot about uh, manifesting and he would he would say accepting our destiny. And I didn't tell you this yesterday, but I'll add it in and then I'll let Matt elaborate is one of the things that he really taught me about manifesting was that we have a misunderstanding about our desires and that we think that we are peasants here abandoned by God begging for our basic needs. Oh God, I'm so lowly. Please just oh, help me I'm make more sinner. money. Yeah. If I could just like make more or we we get into manifesting because we think we have to attract all the things we want into our life. And if I could just get into a better vibration and I can raise my consciousness, I'd be higher. I basically, let's go back to Christianity, can be worthy. Yeah, it's all, it always Isn't comes the from same? this unworthiness. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not going to be sinner. in hell anymore. Make me worthy of heaven. How is it any different than begging for our worthiness or trying to do certain acts to raise up ourselves to be worthy of all that we desire. He says that this entire concept is a flaw because you are the offspring of God. You are his children. You are princesses and princes. You are kings and queens. Like if you really understood that you were the offspring of God, and let's say you really were a prince, you lived in a kingdom, you were a king, your father was a king, you wouldn't go to him and ask him to make you worthy of accepting your kingdom, you would know it was inherently yours. You wouldn't We're say, assuming a loving king here. We're, you know, assume the most like loving divine relationship. You wouldn't have to like beg for that. He'd be like, are you kidding me? It's my joy to give you everything I'm that gonna I am. I'm going to raise my vibration and get my frequency higher so that I could be worthy of accepting the kingdom that's literally inherited to me when you die. Like what? Like you don't need to do that. You don't need to do anything to be worthy. And it, people, it's really funny because with manifestation, so many of these people were raised Christian. They hate Christianity. And then they're literally doing the same worthiness, shame loop that they did in Christianity for heaven. You don't need to raise your vibration to be worthy of what you're manifesting or align yourself for attracting. You want what you want because the idea was given to you from the divine because it's literally your destiny. There is no other way it could be. Would you say that for all levels of consciousness? That's what I was going to get to next okay. is that what we don't understand is that what we want, like from our heart, is God's highest joy for us. Um, what we think we want in our cognition, in our head, and in our ego isn't the same as what our soul desires for us. What you think you want is your thoughts trying to fulfill a deeper soul desire that you might have a disconnection from. Do you think if I get more money or if I get this job or if I move here, I really want to move to this place. I want to move to this place. You, you are thinking that because you have a deeper soul connection to something you think it's going to provide for you. That thing you think it's going to provide for you is your truth, which is happiness or love or being of service to other people or having more opportunities. 
that part is innately true. But how you think that you need it to play out, which is what law of attraction, unfortunately, is like teaching people to focus on is like the things that they want and being a vibrational match for those specific things. You don't need to you don't need to do that because your destiny is already aligned because it's inherently yours. Like you're the offspring of God. So his whole thing is like, what I want is my is already God's will for me. And so he stopped focusing on what he thought he wanted. And he did something so radical, which he surrendered all of his desires, which is the last thing law of attraction tells you to do. And he let the divine show him what he wanted. And I think it's like completely backwards from law of attraction is it's more of surrender than it is attract. Because if you surrender, you're going to realize what you really wanted. You don't need to think about what you want. You need to actually surrender and find out what you want. Mm-hmm. But then you might have the question of how do I recognize the divine and, and be able to recognize the distinction between the divine and the ego, you know, because I think you might, th- some people might think it's the divine, but it's actually their own ego. Right. You know, so to maybe this will answer that in connection with what um, you were referring to. I said last night is the difference is when something's of your ego, it's pleasure seeking Whereas when something's of your truth and of your soul, it brings wholesome joy. Yeah, delayed gratification. Sometimes it can be instant, but yeah, it's usually delayed gratification. And But the, the point is usually like the wholesomeness of the heart. And one of the things that we were saying last night is if you think about the best moments of your life and all the beautiful things you want in life, that is God's will for you. So you don't have to to build off what Ash said. You don't have to beg for that. That is like in the same way a parent who has everything wants to give their child everything also. And anyone who has kids knows that you want the world for your child. So we have this weird relationship due to Western religions that have programmed with this concept that God is it's a different relationship where like you're born a piece of shit, you're a sinner, you got to earn that shit back. And it's like, no, 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 no. The truth is you're profoundly loved. Okay, wait, let's do the fruits thing. See, this is whenever we're studying s- scriptures or of, of any sort of spiritual text and we come across a teaching, we say, hold on, who's got a vested interest in me thinking I'm a piece of shit? Who's got a vested interest in or me that thinking my I got vibrations a, that my low. vibration's low? And, and I need I, to raise And it. I need to feel shame. That's why I don't have money. Who, who's got a vested interest in me feeling unworthy? Do you see how quick you can just cut to the through the bullshit and be like, okay, obviously this isn't a true teaching. But then we say, we look at this Paramahansa teaching and we say, hey, you're actually an offspring of the divine and God's will for you is your greatest joy. So all the, and, and here's the coolest part about joy. All your greatest joys in life only uplift yourself and others. Yes. Yeah, that made me think of when you were talking about the, the fruits and mm. when it was how do you discern a spiritual teacher who's legitimate and you brought it back around to the themes of consciousness and i think another good like nuance to add to it is when we talk about shame to pride those limiting themes of consciousness will always kind of drag you back down versus once you get to courage you gain momentum so going back to the example of like looking at the the different spiritual teachers and what they tell you and who has the vested interest. When you look at the difference between be accountable to your wife, 
where does that lead you? Does that lead you to more development when you go down that rabbit hole? When you when you go down that not rabbit hole, when you go down that journey, does that lead to more does that accountability then lead to ease and willingness and acceptance? Or do, when you look at these people who are like, just be single and just be unattached and just sleep with all the women, does that then, like, where would that lead them? Does that ultimately then lead them? And, and usually when you watch those people, it leads them back into like guilt or shame. Totally. To a hitting bottom. Yes. Which, okay, so here's the funny thing, right? Then we come back to the non-dual of like, and that was exactly what they needed. Yeah. And that's the funny thing of the beauty of, of divine love is that there is no wrong path because even if, like, you know how many times I've had to hit bottom, but it created the springboard to finally go the right direction, or shall we say the, the one that's actually going to progress me rather than slow me down and then eventually come thing you know come full circle so it's all about am i aligning with true joy and i think the easiest way to know you're not in the ego coming back to that part of the question is surrender it to god and that's why we're so passionate about surrender because we think it's completely unpopular in a lot of ways because everybody wants to glorify the ego and we're like no, no no stop it stop give your ego up Surrender to something higher. I don't care what you call it, but just as long as it's got some sort of element of love and it brings joy and happiness to you, then you're probably on the right track. And it doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter if it's a man, a woman, or a this or a that. It's just, are you acknowledging something higher than you that created you? Because the, see, the, the biggest misconception is the ego secretly thinks it created itself. It didn't. And to make it more obvious, the ego secretly thinks it birthed itself. Like if you really think about, especially as adults, think about how many adults you know out there that really think they birthed themselves in their behaviors. You could tell they think they fucking are the center of the universe. And so if you really dig into their psychology, you'll see that they secretly have a conception that they created themselves. And it's like, we're all walking around completely unaware that we were created and we're oblivious of that astoundingly humbling fact. And so when it comes to manifestation, all we're doing is glorifying the ego. And the safest thing I found in all my studies over the last 15 years with this is surrender it to God, surrender it to God, surrender it to God. And Ramakrishna is the one who saved me from my own non-duality trap because he said, stop doing that. It's true, but it's not going to help you. So he literally has this part in the gospel of Ramakrishna where he's, there's a part where they're, they're describing him having discourse with his students and he's like, all these non-duals saying, I am God, I am God, I am God. And he's like, that's not really helping them progress. What helps is to say, all my desires, God, you tell me, you tell me, and I'll just stay open and I'll just do, and I'll answer the call with my heart, whatever you put in front of me. So if you, you put me in this glorious marriage and you tell me to show up to it and to be, and to follow it and, and to trust my heart. And if I'm hurting her, reflect on that. And if I'm bringing her joy, reflect on that and, and magnify that. And if I look at those fruits and I say, hey, this is really something beautiful, keep cultivating that. And hey, this is something really harmful. Stop doing that. You tell me, God, you tell me, rather than me saying, you're the problem, you're slowing me down because I know, coming back to the point you made earlier of like, you don't really know. That's actually a beautiful thing because we should just say, I, ego, don't know. 
God, even when you it comes know. to manifesting, and when it comes I don't to manifesting, know what I want. God, I don't know what you want for me, or I don't know what I I want for myself. That's probably going to be right. So I'm just going to surrender it to you and say, you tell me. And that was the whole beauty of Paramahansa, for example, is then. But here's the beautiful part, right? Because at first that's fear. scary. That's why, yeah. <laughs> so I was just going to go into, babe. Is it's like at first that's terrifying to the ego. Because you think you're not going to get what you want. Because you think it's a bad thing. But but remember the caveat in the very beginning is we said, hey, just so you know, God's will for you is the greatest joy of your life. So you have nothing to lose. I have to say something. Hit it. If you are manifesting, you ironically might be blocking yourself yes. from your highest joy that you can you could ever experience because you're so focused on what your ego wants that you're pushing away what God wants for you. And what God wants for you is so gloriously divine. It can never be wrong. But when we focus on what we think we want, we're taking a limited like version of that by by basically blocking out the unlimited possibility that are yeah. in front of us by saying, I have to have it this way. And so that's one of the things with manifesting that could actually be blocking us from everything we ever wanted is by actually thinking we know what we want to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I came across this like before I met Ash. Cause I did like I did like script out, you oh, know, man. meeting Ash. And I remember before we met, hmm. like I came across this funny teaching that said, like, let's say you're trying to manifest your soulmate, your partner. And and what helped me let this go and instead just focus on feelings and stop getting caught up in nuances. Like for example, if you want to manifest, align with a feeling. So if you want to manifest a partner, focus on you want to feel love and then look at all the things that are blocking you from feeling that. And so like, because here's where it gets funny. If I'm like my dream partner, a manifester, she's a Burnett and she's this and that. And then it's like, God's like, no, she's not. She's a blonde and she's right here in front of you. And I'm like, no, that's not her. And it's a brunette. So I go date like I know what all I these brunettes. And I'm like, God, it's a brunette. It's a brunette. And let's say I keep dating all these brunettes. Matt, like, are you saying something? <laughs> like, I'm just trying to use an example. No, no, no. This this was a funny, this was a funny. Tell I think, us I think how the, it really he is. Wants a brunette. <laughs> no, I'm just, the, the actual just article that I read was he actually said, <laughs> God, sh bring this woman to me in like a red dress and a red dress. And then the guy was like, the the article that I remember, if I remember it correctly, it's is the boat there was all story. these other people. God and, send me a boat, and then no, God save me, God, God save, save me. me. And a boat pulls up, and the guy's drowning in the ocean. He says, God save me. And then the boat pulls up to him, and he says, Hey man, let me save you. And he's like, No, 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 God's gonna save me. God's gonna save me. And then they're like, oh, Okay. And then the boat drives away. And then a boat comes up again and says, Hey, do you need help? No, no, no. God's gonna save me. God's gonna save me. And then eventually the person drowns. And then gets to God and God says, uh, he says, hey man, I prayed to you. I, I wanted you to save me. Where were you? And he's like, what are you talking about? I sent you two boats. You kept turning them away. So what am yeah, I going to do? I want to be in love. I want to I want to be in love. I want to be, be successful. What if God's been sending it to you 10,000 times, but you kept saying no because you're focused on your money? Okay, here's a really good job. Here's a really funny one with money you brought up. I want to be rich. And God's like, okay, here's a workshop on how to work your ass off, be disciplined, create healthy routines, get your shit in order and go to work. And it's like, no, 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 no. I want to be rich like tomorrow. And it's like, you see what I'm saying? It's like, no matter how many ways we could look at how this tends to play out, our ego always gets in the way because our ego thinks it knows the how. And the safest thing I've ever found from all the enlightened teachers I've studied is surrender that to just, it's a guaranteed win. Just stay out of it and just say, God, I don't know, but I'm gonna show up, trust my heart, and then just keep this relationship with you going to where I develop this trust and bond with you that you never, you never mislead me. I love all of this because it's like, I love when you see 
different teachings coming back to the same concept because in human design, it explains it in different words, right? It would say, instead of saying the ego, it would say the not self. And mm. instead of maybe saying surrender to God, it would say, follow your strategy and authority, follow your strategy and authority. And, but that's essentially, it's the same concept, right? Because what human design is teaching is that your not self is convinced that it wants these things. And so it will initiate and go out and and get those things because it, it thinks that that's what it wants. And it thinks, oh, if I have those things, I'll be successful. If I have those things, I'll be satisfied. If I have those things, I'll be peaceful and surprised and in delight. And it's actually like teaching you how to, ultimately, it's like teaching you how to surrender and watch what unfolds rather than being so attached to thinking you know what it is that you want. And I think that's like, for me, that's been the beauty of like in my own experiment is realizing how much I don't often know what I actually want. Mm -hmm. And then you yeah. get to be surprised and enjoy the magic. Yeah. Well, we've been going for a while now. It's a little hot <laughs> in here. So I think we'll uh, start to wrap it up here because I know we got a lot to do and get ready to go. So I do want to bring it back because I wanted to talk about this today. So this is probably the last one of the last questions. So the inner work. I haven't really talked about your book that much. And I know you're in the process of more, but for someone who, I know we talked about accountability being one of those big key factors, but for someone that is, let's bring it back to relationships. For someone that is in a relationship, let's say, let's do one for in the relationship and one not in a relationship. What do you think some keys are to just the, the concept of the inner work? Because I think you've really popularized that, you know, you've made that a, a term that is well known but I don't think people really know what it means. Like it can be skewed too. I think the biggest like keystone like phrase, if you could remember anything from all of this and it could lead you to reading our book, The Inner Work, is to develop the skills and the ability to become curious about your discomforts and your triggers. And instead of pushing them away, lean into just being curious about their origins. Like why am I triggered? Why am I pushing this away? Why am I uncomfortable? Instead of believing every single negative feeling is pointing you to a reaction that you need to take or an action and that it means something uh, superficial is to allowing yourself the opportunity to just dig a little bit deeper into your psyche. And I think the biggest thing just to add to that too is that your discomfort is a gateway to... Yes. <laughs> We've got our visitor. He woke up. <laughs> Must be time. The baby is awake. Um, on the other side of your discomfort is a whole new level of freedom and power and like liberation from suffering. And we're so avoidant of discomfort and it's teaching to us. And so the real message of the inner work is like, just like Ash said, to become curious of your discomforts and it and lean into them in order to find the greater liberation and happiness on the other side. And that's why the subtitle is an invitation to true freedom and lasting happiness is because through sitting through your discomforts and using this roadmap that we've provided through the inner work and seeing the stages and the development and like the relative steps that you can take and find where you are and what you're struggling with. As you work through those that are uncomfortable, like it's uncomfortable to look at insecurities, it's uncomfortable comfortable to look at um, any unworthiness wounds or guilt wounds we might have. But if you can do it, 
you will know a life of true freedom and lasting happiness. If you go through that journey, it's a hero's journey of finding what it means to be truly free and truly happy in life because you are no longer at the control of your ego. Your ego can't react and control you and and, and stir you up and make you do things that you don't want to do consciously. And there it is. All right. Well, thank you both for being here. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. And thank you, Jesse, for being here too. Uh, I think it was a great episode. I think there's a lot to unpack from that. <laughs> and uh, special shout out, Cosmo here Cosmo. for jumping in at the end. Woo. But all right. So where can people find you? You you know, a good couple, right? Pretty much everywhere. We're the yoga couple everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a podcast, the Inner Work Podcast, mm -hmm. and uh, theyogacouple.com for all of our offerings. And we, we do hope that you get the Inner Workbook and you check us out. Yes. Thank you for having us. Of course. Yes, we thank love you. you guys. Thanks this, for hosting us this, here. This was the most elaborate, epic discussion podcast we've, we've ever, ever had. had. So Good. that was an 10 adventure. 10 out of 10, best interview. Woo. Great. Awesome. And um, for those of you that are going to continue sticking around for the podcast, you might see this kind of colors. And for all the episodes that you see these colors, you can just say, thanks to Matt Nash for giving <laughs> me the aesthetics because I'll be here for two months and I'll probably have many more episodes in this environment. And thank you so much for letting me stay here. Thanks for watching our kitties. Thanks for taking care yes, of the babies. We're going to house sit for the next two months. So I'm so grateful to both of you. And yeah, so we'll put all of your links in the description. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it will be in the show notes. But if you're on YouTube, then you're going to need to look in the description and it'll be the first things that you see. Also, take a look at the comment section because there'll be more links there if that's easier for you on YouTube as well. Other than that, they've got their link tree, theyogacouple.com. Go check them out. Go get their book, The Inner Work, because it is a life-changing book and it will. I've read it. It will lead you to lasting happiness so thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode of universe the game and until then peace 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 there it is Woo that scared you bud that's a wrap that's a wrap hey that was awesome you guys epic yeah that was great